All right, I'm hitting record. This is so, we'll do some pre-roll even if we have oh, to. Oh, sure, sure. Um, yeah. That so we, we you've, I have listeners, heard it. you've caught us in the middle of a of a discussion about uh, about uh, next Monday, Monday next, and ultimate and penultimate, and the connection between these things. Mm. Unfortunately, we didn't hit record soon enough. And today is a Friday, and therefore, when a person says next Monday, uh, given that there's no intervening Monday. Mm. between uh, now and the Monday that is three days from now. Probably. Probably not. Um, when you say next Monday, it seems like you're talking about the Monday that's three days from now. On the other hand... And, and say, Monday next refers to... Well, I think if you say Monday next, that's clearly the Monday that's uh, uh, ten days from now, not mm-hmm. the Monday three days from now. I think the the one squirrely bit is, if, if why not just say Monday? Instead of next Monday, because right, there right. isn't any yeah, Monday right. in between now and Monday, the one that's coming right. up. So, so, so you could just say Monday. Yeah, the connection here is when you say your ultimate Monday, it's clearly referring to your last Monday. Yes, the last right. Monday you're alive the is last, your ultimate Monday. Right. Um, or, or the last time that you're on some kind of earthly calendar for whatever reason. I guess, you know, we could, you could posit some other ways of having an ultimate Monday. Mm. It could be your best Monday. Maybe and that's a little bit of ambiguity. The ultimate Monday is mm. the best Monday. But usually, it, temporarily, it means your last Monday. And we have this word penultimate, which clearly and unambiguously means the one before that last Monday. Yes. Right? And there's even a word for the one before the one before the last. Anti-penultimate. Correct. Is it really? Yes. Just made that up. No, I just made didn't. that up. No, you didn't. Well, it's look, been I'm around just, for a long time. I'm not claiming any credit. I'm just saying I've never heard that used before. So you independently arrived at the same... Maybe it's been lurking in my subconscious because I've seen it somewhere, read it somewhere. But Antipenultimate is, in fact, the name for the thing before the next last. It also is the name for the thing which is firmly opposed to and against and attacking the next last Monday. That's anti-penultimate, not anti-penultimate. Right. Um, Okay. I digress. Yes, you clearly do. You could say Monday. Mm -hmm. You could say next Monday. Um... Monday next, I think, is definitely the one 10 days away. Right. Um, now, I don't see, think the, anyone uses the formulation second next, ooh. which would be oh, yeah, they should two not. steps away. No, no, no. no. Um, although we do have the, the uh, word fortnight, which simply means two weeks away. I thought, th- I thought that meant a battle royale game. We're not doing that. You don't know. You, you don't know the game Fortnite, do you? I do not. I don't know anything about it. I, I'm a PUBG fan myself. I, I prefer that over Fortnite. But Fortnite is a what a, fan? For, uh, PUBG, player unknowns battlegrounds. But Fortnite is actually the biggest uh, video game in the universe right now. Oh wow, cool. Yeah, and I, how's that spelled? I, I don't think it's fun, very fun to watch. I don't. It's spelled like the. It's F O R T N I T E. That is that. <laughs> just that like is, just like the just like uh, no yeah yeah no yeah. no yeah it's spelled. Uh, F-O-R-T-N-I-G-H-T. That's, I'm telling you, I, I, I've seen the game played. It's F-O-R-T-N-I-T-E. But I was referring to the way to say two weeks from now is a fortnight. Oh, no, no, no. Because night, like, a, like at night is spelled N-I-T-E. I've seen it on hotels. I know that's how it's spelled. Two nights free. So why did you turn, hit record? I, I thought this was, uh, you know, so we're waiting on a guest and we may or may not get it done today. Um, but we're doing a little bit of pre-roll. And we were having a conversation. I'm like, this is – the people need to hear this. So, the, so but, but I wanted to say this. So there, there is this symmetry between ultimate and penultimate and next Monday and Monday next. 
right? But like we don't do like if you say the ultimate Monday clearly means the last Monday if it doesn't mean the best Monday. But you don't say Monday ultimate. Right. That would be an interesting inversion, right? And you don't say Penext Monday. Maybe someone does say Monday ultimate, but it's not I'm not aware of that usage. I think the so so you're what you're what you're noting is the way that the word next can be both in front of and after. Yeah, are there other words like that? That are where, where placement, you know, you know, you've read this thing that uh, immediately strikes you as obvious when you hear it, but which you're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. And this is why non-native English speakers sound so funny because word order matters in, in like, not in, in, not in meaning, but in the aesthetics of English. Sure. You know, like a big brown cow instead of a brown big cow. Yeah. Right. Agreed. They, they, well, maybe they do have subtly different meaning. It's interesting, right? But, but there is a, there's a certain order to the way things are described. So if like, you say brown big cow, you're, you're trying to distinguish it from a big cow that's some other color. Whereas if you're saying big brown cow, you're just telling me about this cow. Yeah. When I hear brown big cow, I'm, I'm thinking big cow is being used as some kind of compound noun. Like big cow. Right, like there's the a noun. category big cow. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, now you're yeah, telling yeah. me what color right, the big right, cow right. is. Yeah, and so it's interesting that next here is its placement in the array of words is is meant to make a, a not not just a subtle difference in texture, but a totally different meaning. It refers to a different object. I don't I don't know that there's anything like that. I mean, maybe you know, I, I don't know if there's anything like that. But in English, it is other than that. it is interesting that, and I think it is the case that that m- m- given that we're on a Friday to say Monday next. There really isn't an ambiguity about which Monday that is. If you say next Monday, a person might wonder, right. well, if, if he meant the one that's three days from now, he just would have said Monday. Right. No reason to put, pull next into it. Right. Uh, what is next doing? He must mean the one that's 10 days well, away. Well, you might be trying to disambiguate um, if, you know, if you're talking about the past Monday or the coming Monday. So uh. in the current week, you might say, well, on Monday, but, but then the verb tense would, unless the verb tense doesn't disambiguate for some reason. Mm. I could think, maybe I could at least conceptually think there might be right. a case where that would be. But you know what we don't do? So how we, many Mondays are in issue and, and what, do you, what words are you going to use to try to locate me what, looking backward yeah. or looking forward? We would always need a word like ultimate to describe the last or the last Monday, right? But what's interesting is that this idea of next and, and putting it before or after is a kind of a clutch because we could just use it. We could just, you know, the, Mon- the Mondays form an array because they're an yeah. ordered sequence, right? So we could say Monday sub zero, Monday sub one, Monday sub two. Mm-hmm. That would be totally clear. <laughs> it would if we agreed where the first one was so that we knew which was sub zero. Like yeah, what was kind of a problem, isn't it? Yeah. You said kludge. Did you mean kludge? No, I meant kludge. You meant kludge. No. You see, like K-L-U-D-G-E, kludge. No, no, I meant what I said. Which is kludge. No, kludge. People say kludge. Oh, do they? That's good Good for them. Well, I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm people. Mm-hmm. Well, I've this... never heard it pronounced kludge. Yeah, you have. Until today. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I'm glad you clarified. Until today. Yeah. Uh, no, and, I... there's, and as you said earlier this morning, uh, there's first time for everything. For everything, <laughs> there's a first time. What, what, <laughs> there is there is a first time for everything. So today, I guess we could say... And What's we'll, interesting about this pre-roll is it's probably never going to be used. Oh, I'm definitely it's going to be used. In fact, if we don't record anything else, I'm just going to ship this 10-minute pre-roll. Oh, let's do... Uh, that is really cool. Can we please do that? Nah. Are you sure? Yeah, maybe. I, I don't... Anything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I guess since since you say pre-roll, I'm like in a pre-roll frame of mind. I got my co- like I got my coffee. Like it feels like pre-rollish, so I should just say oralargumentpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, that's part of the pre-roll. It bugs me that we have to do the at gmail.com. Why? I don't know. It just does. But that's the that's the email address that we have, oralargumentpodcast at gmail.com. Where are we on the Twitters? We're at oral argument on Twitter. And um, we're at get me Joe Miller and at Chris Dorr. Mm-hmm. True enough. Um, we've gotten some feedback both there and over the over the mails, which we'll get to at some future point. I put a wacky paper on SSRN that people can go look at if they want. We got to do a whole show about this. We do. Of course we do. This is a big deal. Didn't we talk about the paper? You got these beautiful graphs in there. We talked about the charts. Do you call them charts or graphs? They're not graphs, are they? They're charts. Uh, I think of them as graphs. Yeah. Well, of course. Yes. Mathematically, they're graphs. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, nodes and edges and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Mike Madison, friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mad Mike, they call him. Yeah. Uh, he enjoyed the paper. It'd be fun to have him on to talk about the paper. Oh, that would be great. I think great. it'd be better to talk about it with a third person than just you and me. Huh. Let's see. we got a phone call here. That is almost surely spam. You getting a lot of spam calls lately? Yeah. It's like... You know, my favorite is... Um, when it pops up and it says scam likely, which is a good feature. <laughs> yeah. It's a good feature. But if, you, if you've already concluded, phone, that it's a likely a scam, right. why don't How you just send just, it directly to voicemail? Yeah, just don't ring my phone. Yeah. Just send it directly to voicemail. Because maybe it's not. Like, I already don't want to answer anyway. You know, if it's a family member calling, like, I do answer, of course. Because, well, of course. you know, because I know that they wouldn't call unless it was important. Right. You know, because they would just text or, you know, we see each right. other. We see each other. So, um, well, that's a nice diversion. Speaking of phones, I think we're going to talk about phones. In terms of Riley. No, it's not. Oh, and I guess also in terms of Carpenter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the cell site location information that the FBI wanted. Right. So they wanted the data that was collected and stored at the cell site, the tower. They didn't want it, the phone. Yeah. Riley's... The effort to get data from the phone. When we finish this pre-roll, we are going to talk about this case, Carpenter, Mm -hmm. which involves the Supreme Court's deciding whether you have a Fourth Amendment right to a a warrant, basically. A Fourth Amendment right to uh, a warrant requirement before before the police can get your cell phone location information. Fourth Amendment right to a warrant is an interesting... It's an interesting way to... Yeah, well, we're going to get into that because there's this... Like, listeners, if you ever wondered, like, what's the difference between, like, a subpoena? I've heard about that before. And a warrant and but just think, a search. I like, mean, we're going to talk about this. You have, a, you have a Fourth Amendment right against um, unreasonable searches and unreasonable seizures. And one way to regularize reasonableness is with the warrant mechanics. Yeah. But you don't have a right to a warrant. You have a right against unreasonable. No, well, this is all words. But you, you, what you have a right to is, ex- with certain exceptions, as with many constitutional rights, right, right to free speech, right to, to other things. To, to, you, you, have, you have a right. Uh, it uh, is bollocks. It is the plainest bullshit uh, to dismiss an argument as uh, that's all words. Mm. What, what else are we doing? Um, what, what law is walls of words. 
So with, with, re, with so re, that is not a way to try to uh, conduct with, a reasonable with, legal conversation with references to real world effects. And so what I'm saying is that that to say that 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 describing to trying to say that it's not a right to a warrant is trying to distinguish the real mechanics of the thing by changing the words around. And yes, I mean, so so basically, this this case Carpenter turns on whether the government has to obtain a warrant, at least in certain situations, before it obtains. Uh, uh, from well, before it, it requires third parties to turn it something may over. be mere pedantry but I don't think so in the sense that if you describe uh, it as the right to a warrant as opposed to a right uh, to uh, a right against certain unreasonable government actions um, you, you might for example be much less uh, you might be much more surprised to hear that there are plenty of circumstances where a warrant isn't required well that's I just said that. I mean, like all constitutional rights, there are exceptions. I mean, you have a right to the freedom of speech, but not in certain situations. There, there are exceptions, yeah, it, including f- like compelling government interest, et cetera, et yeah, cetera. Yeah, you, you can frame it as an exception I mean, or you can, you can uh, yeah, there are different ways to talk about I mean, right things to warrant and different ways like, to talk it, about the matter. It's imprecise and I, sloppy because you don't have the right to the warrant. I mean, what it means is you have a right to put the government to a warrant requirement, right, to, to obtaining a warrant. So it's, it's sloppy. I get it. It's sloppy. I'm just saying that, that functionally what's happening is that the question is like, what does the government have to show before it's able to obtain information you don't want them to have? Yeah. And um, anyway, so we'll go into this more when we when we talk. Anything? What do, what else do we want to do in pre roll? You want to talk more about battle royale? No, definitely not. You, you do like the Hunger Games, don't you? You're a Hunger Games guy, right? Yeah, that was a great. Um, I never read the books. I will say, um, mm-hmm. I did see. Oh, all, why would you spoil it? I, I did see all the movies. Mm-hmm. I've uh, not I don't and enjoyed them. them. Yeah, I don't think I've seen all the movies. I think Jennifer Lawrence is very talented. She's great, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, she's awesome. Um, you're big into you're a big like YA movie guy, right? I I've enjoyed many of them. I mean, I you know uh, Harry Potter, which you could call YA. I read it, all the books multiple like the def- times. It's saw the, the definitive, movies. isn't it? The definitive YA hmm. these days, maybe. I would say it's. So yeah, there's plenty of the, the stuff in terms of, of movies. I mean, I'm a big. Uh, my movie tastes are pretty mainstream and pedestrian, and uh, you know, but strongly held. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. You have, you have strong convictions. I mean, I really enjoy. I uh, strong convictions. I really enjoy them. I think they're fun. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't have a strong conviction in the sense that everyone else has to also think they're fun. Or no, but you have strong opinions about what you think of them. In, in other words, your opinions are strongly held, even if they are not prescriptive. Strongly held. That this, in fact, this encapsulates a lot of Joe now that I'm thinking about it. I think we're on to something here. Oh, okay. Think, so so, so I'm not going to hit stop because I feel like we're making progress toward the ultimate goal of the show, which, which is, is to understand this, Joe. Correct. The, sec, really the psychotherapeutic you, experience. It's really to help you understand yourself. So yeah. there's an inversion there. This right, is the right, Michael right. Douglas in the game. So yeah, say thing. more. Say more about what uh, strongly held... Yes, is it I mean, an opinion a, about the movies? I mean, I so, really so enjoy them. Someone say, when, sometimes when we say someone has strong opinions, what we mean is that they're very prescriptive, mm. right? They, they, they hold opinions about good and bad or what should be done that they think should be held by others. Like they think, not only do I think this thing, but I also think you should think the same thing, right? Yeah, That's, and I don't view myself as being particularly like that. No. but Do you view me as being like that? No, you're not very prescriptive. Um you can be judgy. Uh. <laughs> I'm very, and I would say rather than saying I have strong opinions, I would say that I, I'm. It's very clear to me what I f- feel about and what I think about 
certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not all things, right. not all the time. But but I'm when I when I get somewhere, I'm clearly there, but and this, I'm very yeah, aware of right. it. Right. This is another sense of strong opinion: is that there's a very there's there's a sharp line between good and bad as emotes, not in terms of like, and in terms of my own um, sense of them. Right. Like Like this movie is good or this movie is garbage, which I'm really just saying, I really enjoyed it or I really didn't enjoy it. Right. And, and you're not like, but, but other people might enjoy it a lot, even if I didn't, and other people might not enjoy it at all, even if I did. I think I'm, and that's all seems fine to me. See, I I think I'm more, both more ambiguous, but also more prescriptive than you are. (laughs) I think that's right. Right. I agree with that assessment. But on both counts. Just as a disposition. So you could have a two by two where you're talking about, um, you know, mm. the, the, the clarity, certainty felt Oof. by the individual dimension. Right. And then you could have the prescriptive, non-prescriptive, like prescriptive or not. And so there are two other people who we need to get on this show. Well, I mean, do we even want a prescriptive clarity person? That would be enough, that person would really hog the, yeah, the mic big I think, time, right? Yeah, that's just like we call that box the jerk box. And the and the uh, as it turns out, amusingly enough, the ambiguous uh, non-prescriptive person is actually already here, hiding behind that door. They've been here the whole time. Oh. They've just never talked. Who, who's that? I don't know, but I'm just saying it's they that don't even have person. Strong they, opinions about their own. Yeah, they can't even really say anything. <laughs> so they've been here the whole time. We just didn't know. <laughs> So I think what we've concluded is that among these four boxes, so we actually have the, the only two, two. The only two worth really having are on the already show here. <laughs> that least surprising conclusion of the day. Okay, <laughs> that the two people who are most important to have here are already here, and it's us. And that we are like we're we are diagonally opposed in this box. We are. That's, that's fun, but not in the jerky dimensions. Like, but the is, I don't, is it really is the person who's the prescriptive strong and de, and non-prescriptive? Are they being jerky? Prescriptive strong seems jerky. Agreed. I have to think about that though more. Maybe it might, you can it find. Might, in fact, it might be the jerky. And 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 weak non-prescriptive has got to be just annoying. Like you can never pin them down on anything. <laughs> yeah, sort of like what's like? Are you really just not processing anything, or are you like? Are you just? You know, you know, the worst kind of personality type kind for like out? as just hanging out with. And this is not really a personality type. It, it's situational and it's not really the worst. But see here I'm hedging. I'm like, I'm yeah, whatever. Um, but it's the person who like, you know, when you get to know them and maybe maybe they're a guest or something like that. And, and they are like ambiguous, weak in how they come off. But you suspect that secretly they are strong and prescriptive. Mm. That makes for the most uncomfortable social situation. But they're sort of hiding. Yeah. They're like, oh, I don't care. We can go anywhere. Like, I don't really, you know. It, Isn't but, that called passive aggressive? Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe we can describe these. Per- maybe we're on to a psychological theory here, Joe. Oh. Where there is the. Now we're hunting big game. How the person, com- which box do they come off as being in? And which box do they, ha- in their own inner dialogue, mm. are they in? And the difference between that tells you something important about personality. Huh. Well, I will say for myself, at least of late, uh, hard to know hard to get a grasp on the reality of your own internal thinking at some great remove in time Mm. because you're reconstructing it now. So it's hard to know uh, what an unmediated state, what you would have said about your internal state at that time. Right. Someone asked, right. My current sense of my internal state uh, is that there's not a big difference between my, you know, 
clear and non and non prescriptive grasp of my sense of things, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that I'm pretty happy to communicate that to other people. <laughs> I don't think I'm. I don't think I put that light under a bushel. I must say. Mm-hmm. Do you have a strong sense of the centrality of your personality over time? Do I have a strong... like? Do you have a strong sense of of, of personhood over t- like stable personhood over time? I do, and it and it. But I would say it comes from the fact that I feel like people have been responding to me in a similar way mm-hmm. for a long time. So you feel like the person you, last month that really is you, and the person you'll be next month that really is you. You you have that you you feel that. I feel like there's a continuity there for sure. How much fear of death do you have? I don't. Um, I don't know how much fear of death I have. Mm. I I do. I know. Uh, the way I think about death. Can okay. I answer that question? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad I hit record now. So the way <laughs> the way I think about death is when I think about death, I think you know that's really annoying or really <laughs> irritating. Like I'm not. I don't want to not be here yet. Hmm. I, because I'm enjoying stuff and. I like my friends and I like my dog and um, I like what I do. And uh, so, and I think I've, in terms of what I write, I feel like I've got some things to say. And so I, I feel like being dead would be a bummer. Like I'm sad about, but of course it's not right. Well, it's, it, yeah, I won't be here to be it. So I, it won't be sad. I think dying is going to not be pleasant probably. And just in terms of statistically speaking, like some people die in their sleep. You mean the process of dying? Yeah, di- the, right. Yeah, the di- the dying uh, to get to dead, the stuff it will take to get there, mm-hmm. uh, where I won't be feeling anything anymore. Um, it's that's not probably not going to be fun. It, truly. Wow, this is taking a dark turn. Um, <laughs> but but uh, so I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the just the not the ending, the not being. That bums me out. I want to keep being. Of course, now. of course you will be. You'll just be in a different form. I mean, are the, you know, I don't know. Oh, wait a minute. What? <laughs> so after my, you're talking about the, after the death of the body. Yeah, it's not clear to me that your being now is that much different than, I mean, you're just the universe now. You'd be the universe later. There's no you anyway. So, you know, uh, so you have a sense of you, you're right? Which a is this, point. Yeah. Which is this like brain response you have to a certain homeostatic you know, inclinations and your, you know, there, there's this stable sense of you over time, which is probably an illusion to begin with, which is why I started asking you about Yeah, like, well, you know, uh, yes. Connection and, uh, between and the vocabulary and... that we use to talk about, uh, the everyday vocabulary we use to, to capture what it is like to be the beings we are, um, to the extent that that sentence makes any sense, mm-hmm. um, includes that, our, our vocabulary for that to includes that continuity of personality. Um, on top of whatever the changes are that are happening. I mean, our individual selves right. are doing things that we're not aware of in our consciousness. Again, I feel for like the, the, for the yeah. meaning of that sentence that makes sense in everyday speech. Right. right? Um, I feel like though the, the, um, the grasping at beingness, right. And your, your inclination toward thinking that, that non-being will be kind of a bummer or it's a bummer to think about non-being. That's the best that way being. to say it for me. Yeah. Um, it makes me sad to think about not being. And part of that is like when you look at a pile of stones or, you know, or, or uh, um, uh, an eroding piece of 
sidewalk curb or something like that, you're thinking, well, that's, that's not very amazing. Whereas a be, whereas being me is amazing, right? I mean, you know, it's being is amazing and there's nothing amazing about the other things, right? I'm enjoying being. Yeah. Therefore yeah. not being is, doesn't sound very enjoyable. But another, a way to invert this. Though, how did this start? You asked me if I was, how did, did you ask me if I was afraid of I death or how did no, I feel we, about we, death? We were or? talking about personality types and then we were talking yeah. about like, you know, what, but then you asked me something about death. What was it that you asked me? Well, I asked, I, I was asking you the, the sense you have of your personality. You're reflecting on your own personality. Yeah. And I was asking whether you had a stable sense of yourself over time. Yes. And then I was wondering how this related to your, your relative fear of death relative to a other fear. People. You see, you did invoke the notion of fear. Yeah. Your present sensation of fear over one day not being. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have fear about not being, I have sadness about not being. Hmm. I would definitely tr- try to prevent I'm glad to hear this. Uh, I would. You're glad to hear what? <laughs> that you that you would try to prevent your own death. Definitely. <laughs> this is, you know, if, if if the answer to that were no, I wouldn't. I'd be concerned. No, I, well, uh, you shouldn't be. I mean, there are plenty of faith traditions where I think one would cultivate uh, well, the, 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 uh, a cultivate a an, a an attitude toward death that you would not fight its arrival. Well, um, we're putting a lot of a lot of weights being put on prevent and fight in those sentences, right? I mean. Like you're not going to look both ways before you cross the street is it, you know, you know, there are, that's a, you know, I mean that, that's going too far in not preventing your own death. Right. Whereas not, you know, one, you know, and then there's the, I want everything, you know, I'm never going to sign a DNR. I want to be preserved even if I'm on a machine, you know, that's like another end of the spectrum. So there's a, yes, there's I, a spectrum of prevention. Here. There, There is a spectrum of prevention and I am, I, I certainly have uh, completed the documents to, 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 uh, to not take those extraordinary health measures, for example. Mm. Um, but, uh, so when I say that I would, I, I will fight. So the documents that your friends and I all forged together, we don't need those. You already, you already. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, but, but the, and the reason why, and someone might say that's inconsistent and I don't think it is because the, that, that, that sort of, you know, heroic measures, uh, to preserve the, the, my body in it in what will be then be a sort of vegetative state it's like that's not interesting to me at all because that's not me um the me the me i'm enjoying the being i'm enjoying is what i want to continue to enjoy Mm -hmm. now the hard case for me is to think about whether i would enjoy being if i if i underwent some dramatic physical impairment um, and I don't know how to think about that or how I would think about that. I do know when I was very young, I didn't, uh, I was very afraid for a while of becoming blind, mm. not for any particular reason. It was just a thing my mind got caught on and I kind of obsessed about. Um, it wasn't like I was undergoing something where there was a risk of blindness or something. Like right. That. Um, but because of my you hearing didn't, impairment, didn't I operate think, a still in your garage or anything, for example. Okay. Um, or drink bottles of rubbing alcohol or any of that. So, but but uh, it's reassuring. I, think, I think my hearing impairment caused uh, me to think about impairment right. and other impairments. And and uh, you mean true? You actually do have a hearing impairment. In, I do in, in one ear. It's in your yes. My right ear right is ear. not uh, does not operate. Right. I'm deaf. so you're not referring to you know the, the, the just general, general like not listening and and being annoying in that way. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. I'm okay. not referring to that uh, part of my personality. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, so when I think about... Jokes about your physical impairments are always the best jokes, aren't they? They really they? are. Yeah. 
when I was young, I thought about blindness as something that, and it scared me a lot. Mm. And would I want to live anymore if I were blind? Um, and my guess is I probably would very much want to continue to live because I would begin to think about all the things that I would miss if I weren't if I weren't anymore. And then I'd be like, you know, not being as, as a huge bummer. I want to keep being. So I probably would want to keep being. Yeah, not being is actually not a bummer at all. It's, it's <laughs> I'm just an, reporting it's to you an, what I think. Anticipation of non-being, which is a bummer. Yeah, right, right. I don't know what it will be like not to be. It won't be like anything. It will be like whatever else, you know. Like, why, why are you like you to begin with? It's, this is all, like, very... Mm. Um, it's getting college dorm room. A little bit, but there's some truth in the college dorm room. There is. Like, this is where people figure some stuff out. So the anticipation of non-being makes me... Uh, I experience sadness when I reflect yeah. upon uh, th- my future non-being. Yeah, but just like your your inaccurate perceptions of yourself as a as a blind person, which would be, you know, you would have a different but rich and full life as a blind person, right? And yeah, that's what I imagine. Yeah, because it's not what I felt when I was a kid. I was very scared. You're fearful it. of it, right? Yeah. But if it happened, it would have been fine. And uh, you know, there would be other challenges, and like you know, right? You know, God knows if you had, if we'd known what to be afraid of when we were kids. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, so it's your well, it's your your existence in the moment, right? It includes everything you're experiencing right then, right? And endowed with all these memories you can access from what what went before. Yeah, and it's just a, the thoughts you have at that moment, right? I mean, so your 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 fearfulness about the future is like a, a present fearfulness about losing something that you think you have right now because of all these memories and other things that you can access. In the configuration that is created in your brain. Okay. Hmm. You sounds like you disagree. Do you have any other questions for me? Sounds like you disagree about what? What I just said. Well, you you were you were describing um, in in a different. You were sort of taking a different perspective. Um, you might call it the external point of view. Um, about my experience of myself from the internal point of view. And I, isn't that what you did? A little bit. I mean, I am denying that there's a singular internal point of view. Denying that there's a singular internal point of view. Denying that there is a single or singular internal point of view. There's a bunch of stuff that comes together in the head that has gotten to us through natural selection, which produces a certain kind of centrality of feeling. Yeah, the... the uh, the conscious, the the thing we call consciousness, and the thing we call the self, yeah, and the the fact that we experience a we can report experiencing this continuity of self over time, as as part and parcel of that thing we call consciousness. Um, uh, you can describe it in biological terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can describe it in experiential terms. Right. Which is very useful. Like, you wouldn't be able to exist if you couldn't do that. Like, this illusion of, of centrality, which I think is an illusion, okay. is nonetheless, like, very adaptive, which is why we have it. The, what is the importance for you of thinking of it as an illusion and calling it an illusion? Uh, I, the reason that why that word isn't particularly interesting or attractive to me is that 
um, it, it sort of privileges one of the points of view, one of the sets of words and, th- and thoughts of vocabularies to, to describe this stuff. It sort of privileges the biological one um, and says and try and is sort of denying a reality to the subjective or experiential way to describe it. Well, I, I, I don't no, think no, I'm an illusion. It I don't deny experiencing the, myself as an illusion. Um, well, there are actual illusions, of course. There are optical illusions and other kinds of illusions, sure. which you can, where the what the person thinks they're experiencing is not what they would think they were experiencing if they were, had a different set of inputs. In other, in other words, yeah. if they could access, they think they're describing a reality. In fact, they are not. You know, this right. involves shapes and colors and timing and yeah. all kinds of things like that. And you could right? even do it in such a way where you can you can uh, set up a set of circumstances where there, there just is no way for the person to have the other set of inputs. Mm-hmm. And nevertheless, they would agree it was an illusion, right? right. So you could have, you know, r- circles that are the same color. And then when you put an overlay on top of them that, that puts those color, that same color in different contexts. Right. And you, you just can't get your brain to tell you it's all the same color. Right, right. It is. You know right. it is. But your brain just isn't going to let you see it that and way. And that's what I mean. The self is in – the centrality of self is an illusion in that sense. It, it doesn't mean that you can't talk – so there are lots okay. of things where we can say like, you know, like what is, a, what is a fire station? Like the fact that you and I can talk about a fire station as a thing, as an object, yeah. right, that has certain attributes that is – that a place we could go, you know, there's certain things that you can do with respect to the fire station. And we can, we can have that conversation. Like there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no fundamental element of the universe called fire station. It is an, it's a, it's an agglomeration <laughs> of, of a bunch of, a, a bunch of physical things and social facts and cultural understandings. Right. right. And, and, these, and, it's and a, I yeah. would say it, it is, it is meaningful to say, therefore, um, in, in light of what you just asserted, uh, it's real. Yes. Well, it it has a social reality. Yeah. It has, it, because we have a shared and that, and understanding. And it's really important, that well, and social you know, reality. This, my theory of law depends on the idea that we can create constructions like this and share yeah. them and, and judge them and have understandings of them, right? Right. And so you could say but appreciating that there's a perspective that, from yeah. which the uh, you know, firehouse is an illusion. Mm-hmm. That's a fair point. There is a perspective from which... No, using it, the word it's, illusion, it's the, it's the belief that the firehouse is fundamental. Is, you know that, that we don't really have that. Like we, you know, but if we did, it would be wrong or illusory in some sense. But, but also like understanding that the firehouse is a social construction, right? It, one who understands that is able to think, well, maybe it could be different. Like, sure. It doesn't have to be in this particular way, right? There's right. nothing prescriptive in the universe about. The notion of a firehouse, like it has to have the number 51 over it, or it has to, right, or it has to be made of brick and not this, or it has to have. Sure. I mean, it, it's a particular human instantiation of a, of a, of, of a set of people and, and objects which are needed to respond to a certain kind of social problem, fires, and other emergencies. And the human self doesn't seem like a firehouse in that, uh, social construction, arbitrariness that you were just describing, right? Arbitrariness might not quite be the right word, but the, the notion that it could be lots of other ways. Um, and it's the way it is because we continue to make decisions about the way we want it to be. Um, you mean it, the firehouse? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the self doesn't seem to me to be that sort of thing. Uh, 
that doesn't mean that the self is, is uh, has some, I can't remember the words you were using, sort of natural, fundamental. Yeah, it's not. It, it's, whatever. Right. It's um, not a fundamental physical object. Right. Just like the firehouse isn't. Isn't, right. And the meaning of the firehouse also doesn't come from its fundamental physical aspects. It this, comes from how, other, how we perceive it and talk about it with each other. And so, yes. to, so to the self, right, the sense of self is how we kind of talk to ourselves about ourselves. Yeah. Right? Um, it, it's, it, but it, it seems more like yeah. a tree or a rock in that it, is, it does seem more like a found thing than a made thing. We, we, now, what does? The self. The self. Well, we didn't, con- we, didn't, uh, we didn't construct it to solve certain purposes. However, it does solve certain, it do- I mean, it solves certain purposes. You know, I, I You're talk- talking about nature and yeah, teleological. I'm weird phrases, but yeah. you know what I mean. Uh, I do, very Aristotelian way to talk. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's natural selection. Like creatures who think of themselves as persisting through time at a particular point, right? Achieve, have achieved, it seems, have achieved le- levels of reproductive success that uh right animals that didn't think that way didn't right uh they're not here uh at least not that we're aware of so we can't um sort of test it in that sense right Um, and our you know that we are meaning making machines is like you know that that's what we do We, we create meanings and we find them you know it leads to bad effects like conspiracy theories and Mm. but uh but also like it's how you and I are able to communicate. Right. Like by, by constructing meanings for all these physical things happening between us. Like I look over there and I see Joe. Right. Right. And I just don't even like, unless I attend to them purposefully, I don't see every other aspect, every particular thing. Like, you know, I, I take it all in and it equals Joe. Right. And that wouldn't, uh, the same thing will happen tomorrow. If I, come here tomorrow and sit in this chair, you would look over at this chair and I would be in it and you would have the same reaction tomorrow. And you've had that reaction every other time I've been sitting in this chair in this room in mm. the past. So there, that continuity point, yeah, uh, that persistence point uh, seems to be part of this sort of phenomenon. Um, and that would be true even if I, you know, had an appendix, my appendix removed so I think there is something to this. So, you know, I, again, I think that law is obviously a social construction, right? It is obviously something created, I say, kind of in an object-oriented way, meaning that we think of things as statutes. We think of them, you know, we, we, we create these kind of legal objects and we infer connections between them or we actually impose connections among them and we reach certain conclusions. We create a, decision, a decision-making machine mm. and, and give people roles in them. Um, but there, I think there's something dispositional. We, we hit on this before. There's something about what does that human mean? disposition, which leads some people to just need this existence to be more real, right? You know, it, it's, they, they need for there to be a kind of authority, that the law is a thing that can be queried, right? Rather than a thing that we are constantly making and remaking. Mm. Uh, and that there has to be a thing called the law say that judges you know what what is the role of judges and and and, and again this is not fully fleshed out right. or anything this like that is, but i now know what what um reading justice gorsuch's opinion in carpenter put at the top of your mind mm. well we'll talk about that when we when we talk about carpenter but um 
so there is this where I've seen this debate between Larry Solom and some other people on Twitter about like, you know, well, if we don't use originalism, should just be personal preference and kind of an on off kind of thing. Right. And, and, and don't you worry about that? And is it just about politics? And there's a whole set of, you know, there's a whole literature about, you know, whether there's a certain kind of elite or high politics that judges engage in. That's, I think it was Jack Balkan who talked about high politics, a different, yeah. you know, or whether the rhetoric and training like impose a certain kind of discipline and whether ways of talking about things change. So there's all that. Right. But I think, you know, in addition though, there's one view of law and what judges role is within law as like observing a body that exists right and not changing it but reaching but using it to reach conclusions and there's another which sees law as a social construction meant to solve certain problems of togetherness and right and, and judges role is the judges role is to create an acceptable result to use that whatever exists in the in the different thoughts people have which are encoded in statutes and constitutions right. like it's the science of 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 acceptable decision making in a context where there are facets of the custom and social practice and reason and all the stuff sort of bumping around right F- within all that stuff that's bumping around uh both of the parties before you can pull on different of those right. many, many things to pull together a, a kind of at least somewhat plausible right. answer. Right. right. Um, if only one of them could do that, they wouldn't be there. Right. Right. Um, it's the fact that both of them can that puts them in front of you, um, which is an indication that either of them can plausibly win. Right. It's a, a denial, of, a denial of a right, right answers thesis in law. It's what you're doing, right? That, that there is no right answer. There are people who are, you know. There are plausible and implausible yeah. um, ways to resolve a given dispute with the existing materials, is how but, I would phrase it, um, in, in terms of a way to say what I think is happening. It's is a little bit like hap- working without the seamless web. Right. With, <laughs> right. It, it's like the judge's job is to make an interpretation for now from all of the elements of our culture, especially the legal culture. Right. But the yeah. you know, the culture enculturates us into how to think about the legal culture. Indeed which it does. Its own. Right. And, um, and, and so, yeah. yeah the, so when a judge, so the role of the judge is, as you say, um, to to how did you put it? You sort of you're trying to give a good answer for now, the best you're, answer for now. Yeah, it's It's about like it's about achieving acceptable settlement within a certain framework of understanding of one another. Yeah, uh, exactly. I, I think that's right. And, um, and, and so you go to the, the legal materials, which, as you say, are part of a wa- broader set of social materials. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to the legal materials and, and, and try to synthesize out of them that answer for now right. for these parties. Because the way this adversary system has been set up, one of them is going to win and one of them is going to lose, right? We've mm-hmm. created that. That's this. That's the way this mechanism works, right? right. It's not a mediation where you where your goal is, I'm not a mediator and I have no mediation training. And uh, so my, what I'm going to say might, um, someone who was of that sort might tell me I'm, I'm not quite making sense right now. But 
uh, see, what I think about mediation is you're trying to get the parties through more and more continued and, and deeper engagement with, with one another's recognition of one another's needs and interests. You're trying to get the parties to forge a, a thing they're both, that they both think of as a win. Right. Right. So it's not, it's not adversary anymore in the, in the sense of there's going to be a winner and a going to be a loser, right? Uh, which is what the traditional legal adversary process in the Anglo-American tradition is. Yeah. Is there's a winner and a loser. Right. And so you're the person who's judging, who's making the decision about which wins and which loses and how to explain it, how to give a, re, a set of reasons right. for why, um, it's that person is do is decide is deciding it that way, um, but that's that's the judge's job. Well, it, it, but what the judge's job is is a, is a question that always confronts us, right? And so it's conceivable that you could think that this particular official's job should not be discretionary in the sense that they should channel someone else's decision. Like in our culture, it is just not acceptable for a um, a, a, a warden or a jail warden. To say, okay, well, I take the judge's opinion as advisory, and yes, they said that the person was uh, acquitted, but you know what? I think they were. You know, I'm going to use my own jailing authority, and I'm going to jail them, right? Um, because I've taken the, you know, I've I've reviewed the decision of the judge and found it wanting, or vice versa, right? They can't just let them go absent some law authorizing it, right? So, right. In, our, in our system, we've chosen to invest a certain institution with authority and and to withhold authority from another. My point is that 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 yes. decision is. That that institutional allocation decision is 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 something that we create based on our sense of accept of acceptability. It is not it it is not implied by the word law or anything that the concept of law contains. Right? It is a constant. You can imagine a system that has a constitution completely equivalent to ours, for example, where um, where a someone of thirty three year olds. 33 years old could be elected president despite the fact that it says 35 because they have a different attitude toward that term 35 years old in the constitution mm. there's nothing in the universe that says that like that, that tells you exactly like that must be interpreted in a particular way mm-hmm. or what meta interpretive thing even if the constitution said it should be interpreted according to the original intentions of the authors like you could take a different attitude toward that so it's all about like <laughs> and some right. people could say they're wrong they're not wrong this yeah. is my monopoly example from the paper just over again right that 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 what what we're always doing together is trying to kind of continuously achieve settlement amongst one another using and in a very complicated society like ours right Right. it we rely on a lot of pre-existing material so we don't have to redo everything this is a little bit shapiro's planning theory right like we don't have to revisit every possible issue all the time and so one argument that usually wins is this is the way that we've done it or this is the way we agreed that we would do it Right. And people usually accept that argument. Right. Um, Because there's no other way to do this. But like that does not I think there is a there is a dispositional difference among human beings where some human beings are strongly, strongly attracted to the idea that there is an authority and there is a lack of discretion. Right. Mm. Uh, There's lack of agency. And others are more inclined to think that, you know, there's more blue sky here. Like there's more chance for us to innovate, right? Right. And that those deep like psychological dispositions drive a lot of the difference among mm. people in determining, you know, whenever there's like a zone of uncertainty around how much interpretive authority we have, 
uh, certain institutions have, that's where you will find these dis- dispositions leading people to theories that, you know, anyway, that's maybe not, and I'm not saying everyone is this way. You could find some ver- people who highly, so my, are otherwise highly like innovative or or, or, or or distrustful of authority, nonetheless adopting more authoritarian visions of the principle of law, the concept of law. And I don't mean by that they, they favor authoritarian governments, but you know what I mean? Like they, they do. That law has authority. And you may find other people who are strongly attracted to authority or, or otherwise score highly on authoritarian scales who believe in lots of discretion for judge. I'm, I'm, I don't, you know, this is not a well-worked out theory, but it does right. seem to me that there is a, um, that this is a way of explaining attachments to non-discretionary theories of legal actors that doesn't rely on just like Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. Um, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it, it's not all like results driven. The way the reason someone might favor a more open textured constitution is not necessarily because they think it will deliver liberal results. They may just it may just feel natural to them. Yes. Right. And and that that doesn't mean that 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 it's it's unexamined. It means that that feeling of naturalness is driving their intuitions about these arguments. Right, uh, the kinds of arguments that can construct a theory that would justify the the uh, open textured interpretive um, allocation. And I am, at least at this stage, not only am I in that uh, I would put myself in that second group, the the more blue sky group, mm-hmm. um, rather than the you know there's authority and. Uh, and there isn't discretion, and uh, not only that, there shouldn't be. Right. And it's really important that there not be, and all that stuff. Right. <laughs> um, so convinced I am of the presence of discretion, and indeed its ineradicability, mm-hmm. that that other stuff actually sounds kind of bananas to me. Yeah, but you don't, you know, you're, you're again, it's like initial conditions matter, and... Um, you are not in favor, I take it, of of granting uh, of. You're not in favor of the view that that jailers actually have a lot more discretion than most people think. No, right. So there's something about judges and their particular institutional makeup that makes you think, yeah, they, you know, when they read legal materials, they should do so with an eye toward what makes sense as an acceptable settlement. Now, in other words, dwar- the fact that Hercules was a judge matters a lot. Well, yeah, because the, because we're talking about Dworkins. Yeah, I don't mean Hercules. Yeah, we're right. talking about but we're talking about uh, the you know the the role of the judge. At least I am talking yeah. about the role of the judge in the Anglo-American tradition, which is a, there is a set of historical practices, a set of facts about what has happened in the past. That if someone who calls him or herself the jailer starts acting that way i think the 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 typical response to that would be you've made a mistake about what jailers are that's Mm -hmm. that's not you that's not what your job is um is a way of summing up the idea that in the accepted social practice is that that's not where the discretion is we could put it somewhere else we could redesign it we could say oh jailers and jailers have discretion about lots of aspects right. of the but, conditions of confinement for the people who were jailed there. But you see, the dispositional originalist would say that – would have that same attitude toward judges, right? That we just didn't put it there. We, you know, that, that, that's – Yes, our and this is the sense in which, as there. I say before, I, it sounds kind of bananas to me in, in, that, in that way. It just sounds historically wrong. 
sounds to me like it's, but that's not is that your that, my my meta point here is that is that your objection to it is not purely historical it's partly dispositional fair enough i accept that um but i but i also think there are his, i think there is such a thing as fact and there is such a thing as history about that fact and so there can be a fact of the matter mm-hmm. um and they can be right or wrong about it and so can i um, so well, if the claim is, uh, you know, or people who aren't originalist, people who say now that judges needn't be originalist are, um, are distorting past practices of judges in a certain way, but you could make that claim. Um, that claim is f- true or false uh, against a certain Yeah, I, I don't know that you were guided that, but what if you agreed that in fact, what if we, what if you find out tomorrow that, that Bowdoin Sachs are correct and, um, that, that originalism is our law. And, that, and if you study it, like the, there's been this unbroken practice of judges of being t- uh, parsers of, te- of of original public meaning. In it. And so let's suppose even textualism, just as a hypothetical here, so that, that if you look back, actually judges have just parsed text and have looked at dictionaries. Um, I take it you would not favor that role for the judge within our system. And I don't know that you would feel like dispositionally you would react against it. And I wonder if that would cause you to want to construct a theory saying we could do it differently. In other words, we're not bound by that sure. positive. You know, it, I don't have to be positivist on with respect to this I tradition. mean, it's a weird hypothetical because to say, you know, suppose you woke up tomorrow and found out that all the things you know to be the case are, weren't the case. I mean, that's not – I just know that isn't history. I mean, I, I just know – I've read enough of the output of judges – in in their professional roles, uh, mm-hmm. writing uh, opinions, describing judgments and the grounds for judgments, I just know that not to be true. One of the reasons to think that might not be true that is what that not, might not be true that that there is an unbroken practice of all uh, agreeing with one side. Is that yeah. it is not at all surprising. It, it would not be at all surprising to learn that throughout our history, the mix of dispositions has been kind of like it is now. <laughs> Right. Right. And there have been people who are attracted to authority and um, uh, authority in, in, in this very particular sense that we've been talking about it. Right. And there are those who have been suspicious of authority. I mean, as a descriptive matter, it seems to me that it, I think it's is it Phil Bobbitt, the this the modalities yeah. of argument. And, yeah. I mean, I think that does as good a job as anything does of capturing sort of the range of ways that people have uh offered reasons for outcomes and explained outcomes by, by giving reasons for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the advocates are offering you a roadmap. Uh, the right. judge describes a, a rationale. I mean, the Bobbitt's sort of methodologies, it seems to me to capture it. And it's very ecumenical and very sort of like, uh, in a way, pragmatic and, and functionalist. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to find a settlement for people now who can continue to live together now and yeah. that's kind of, kind of what we need to do and we've got this range of things we can use and we've been using all of them in different mixes at different times and places in different circumstances um that sounds right to, to me that comports with what i know about the history so i'm not going to wake up tomorrow and find out oh my gosh it turned out everyone was a you know uh a true Hardbound originalist, textualist, whatever. Yeah, I mean, we construct stories of our legal culture the same way we construct stories about ourselves. Yeah, and we, you know, we'll pick up on things. What do you we, mean by what do you mean to mean, contrast? Meaning with, things that we value, we we tend to latch on to 
thoughts and facts and, you know, or thoughts about facts that reinforce those values. And we tend to discount things that do not. Right. And so when a construct, like when we tell a story about ourselves, like who is Joe, right. Or who am I? But look, this is part of the, this is the part of the stuff that I don't, uh, that I, this is the part of the conversation that starts to make me uneasy. But there are like the U.S. reports, like that's a set of books, and you open the one that's got the number four fifty four on the spine, and you open it to a page, and there's like stuff on that page. Yeah. And if someone says to you this stuff is not on that page, that's that's not right. It, it is there. It's, so too with your brain. Like if you think of a particular memory, it is there, and it probably has a. It, and so I want to I want to I want to say there's thing. a there's a um, there are facts about what's in 454 of the U.S. reports. Yes, and, and there are, so, there are facts about the contents of your brain. There are, yeah, there are facts about your memories. Now, those memories may or may not be accurate. In fact, and and the facts recited in U.S. in 454 U.S. or whatever may or may not be accurate. But right. they did ha- those those recordings did happen. Yes. Right. And your memory is there. Now, your memory may not be what was recorded at the time of the thing. Your memories can change, just like our attitudes toward things that which were written can change. Yes. Right. What? What? But I think what isn't going to change is if you take as a reason for action now that we can find a a report of an action taken before by this institution recorded in this place. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's a fact of the matter about that. Yes, and there's a, there, like, you know, if you're thinking about whether to take a certain action right now because um, you remember that I made you that coffee and you didn't, <laughs> and maybe maybe you didn't like it, and so you next time you're going to say no, please don't make me coffee, right? I mean, the reason Not you're, true people. The reason you're saying you would be saying that is because of your memory about something that occurred before. Now your memory may be faulty, yeah. right? And people could disagree about whether that fact that happened before should be a reason for your doing what you're doing now. Definitely. Right? Uh, and I and I'm, I welcome very much the conversations about, you know, uh, our, our sense about whether the fact that it happened before should be a reason for doing something now. I think that's a totally great conversation. Mm-hmm. I think having a conversation that even begins to suggest there isn't a fact of the matter about what happened before is deeply corrosive and should be avoided in, and resisted. Right. Because, I mean, <laughs> cooperation depends on our identifying you know, thought objects, right? A- including things written on, there is there is such a thing as a case, right? And that case reports things that people said happened, right? And unless we can agree to talk about that case as having this kind of thought object existence, we're not going to be able to have a legal conversation. Like legal conversation depends yes. on our declaring a set of objects as fundamental, right? Yeah, and if we go, if we go to the book where we have recorded what happened at that time and place and we read what it says that we can, it will be there and we can find it and we can see what it says. And then we can have a conversation now about what we want to do about that fact. Like if there were, if there were a recording of the time I made you coffee and your reactions to it, like we could go back and cause I would argue, no, you should get a cup of coffee now for me, Joe, because you actually liked it before. You said, no, I didn't like it before. And if there were a recording, we could refer to the recording and we would probably both take that as authoritative. Uh, sure. as to how you felt, but not about how you should feel now. Like, okay, yes, I agree that at the time I said it was good, but yeah. I've thought about it since then, and in fact, it was crap. And so if I were offering as a reason for action today that I thought it was crap before, and it turned out when we looked back at the tape, I didn't think it was crap before, I might nevertheless 
today, not want it, and I, but I would have to come up with a reason or I have to think differently about why I didn't want it because my memory turned out to be incorrect. My right. assertion of the past turns out wasn't accurate. Uh, so, okay, maybe, maybe I'm not saying it because of the past. Uh, I'm saying it for some other reason. It's interesting that it distorted my, my, uh, my recollection. It happens all the time. Um, but nevertheless, here I am. I don't want it. What's my rationale for not wanting it? These are all good things, right? This is like, uh, and they don't involve denying the fact of the matter, which you recovered by looking at the tape where I said, right. blah, 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 blah. There was great. a fact. There was a fact of the matter about the Equal Protection Clause. It says what it says, and it was passed at the time. We have no reason to think it wasn't. I mean, maybe yeah. maybe we will. So what is it? I, I feel like whereas, we're disagreeing the, about something. Th- there was segregation in the public schools at the time. Like, do you think that, you, that I'm saying something that denies? No, we're just talking. Okay. We're just talking. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it is. Um, um, I think sometimes the 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 social construction um, insight about some of what the the degree to which law is a socially constructed practice and process mm-hmm. um, that that insight people can get too enthusiastic about that insight and lose track of the way that. There are, yeah. I, I'm not saying that it's necessarily facts, right. It, that that's stuff is working on, right? So, th- looking more deeply at the way that human beings perceive things and tell stories about themselves and their and their culture and the way that that maps onto reality and what reality might even be, like that stuff to me is really interesting. And uh, it, and it's interesting not for necessarily writing a law review article about how the Fourth Amendment should be interpreted, like arguing for a particular interpretation, like Carpenter got it wrong, comma, because blah, 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 right? I'm more interested in what it, why people disagree mm. about the law in particular. And I think that the answer to that is, is, is uh, continuous with why they disagree along all kinds of dimensions and it, uh, uh, of social life mm. and of physical life and and i think that um our own you know our our own sense of self and 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 mind is is also this kind of construction and seeing a similarity between that and the way we construct our social world is to me very interesting so i'm interested in this i'm interested in it because um you know i i I like getting to the bottom of things and, and, right. I, and, and, you know, and that's what uh, I've always kind of been driven by that to understand what's really going on. It's like the, maybe the mathematician instinct, like what is really driving this, what is, what's happening. And I, I'm not so, um, you know, optimistic that I will ever find a true answer to this. I mean, the theory is kind of self-defeating maybe in that sense, but, but it, but it does like you look at things a little bit differently and, um, instead of trying to say, well, this is the way to do it, you're kind of open to, okay, so people, some people say this, some people say that. What's going on? Why do they, why do they disagree about that? What's, what's causing that? And I'm increasingly suspicious that a lot of the reasoning has to do with um, psychological dispositions over time. Mm. And, um, but, but, but what would be super interesting is to find that examples where people are, their dispositions towards some rule sets are very different than their dispositions toward other rule sets. You know, like people who, you know, say you've got to stick to the rules of the game in a particular context might be, no, I'm more of a living constitutionalist in this aspect, in this other social cooperative setting, oh, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I, I just wanted to spin it out. I was interested in your thoughts and cool. And this is the best pre-roll ever. Yeah, I think, um, should we get our guest on the line? <laughs>
<laughs> I think yeah. we just have to release this as as a show, as a pre-roll show. Well, so what I might do, I might hold this and release it. This is a timeless one, I think, Joe. So you're saying this could be released anytime. So it might be. If, if we can manage to get together with our guests, then we will release the other show first, and then maybe this one later on. I have received no... Okay, no, 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 we don't need to go into logistics. No one wants to hear logistics. We've got some logistics issues, but we'll, you know, hopefully we will record a Carpenter episode. And then we, and then this one can follow up as, as a, a just pure pre-roll. Awesome. Okay. Wh- what other items do we have? Items on the agenda? No, nothing for me. Thanks. 